tonight we're going to conclude a series of lessons that was begun a couple of months ago. The thought in mind was the church of Christ. For just a moment, I'd like to remind you where we've been and what we will do tonight. This was a series of six lessons. The first one being the church determined God's plan for the church. And as we see it woven throughout the Old Testament, God's plan to save man, and it was to save man through his kingdom, which is also known as the church. When we come to the New Testament, we find the church described by our Lord in a number of the parables, particularly as we read them in Matthew chapter 13. Then we read and study as Paul describes the church in the book of Ephesians. Then we talked about the church declared. That is how the apostles and early New Testament evangelists preached the kingdom of Jesus Christ and how people became members of it. Then we talked about the church designed, how God in his divine wisdom designed the church exactly like he wanted it to accomplish the purpose for which he designed it. And tonight is the final one, the church delivered. And as you and I think about that, I've tried in each of the lessons to talk about our perception of the church. How when you and I hear someone say, the church of Christ what comes into your mind? Do you think of the building? Do you think about those people as opposed to thinking of us? When you and I hear the term Church of Christ, do we think of some denominational body or do we think of the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that is represented by those of us who are members of it? How should I view the church? As I think about how I should view it, does God expect me and does God expect you to be a part of it? Will it really matter in the end? When you and I get to the day of judgment, will it matter whether or not you and I have repented of our sins, confessed our faith in Christ, and been baptized and added to the church by the Lord, Acts chapter 2 verse 47, and the reason why I emphasize this is one thing that you can learn by reading things like Facebook on the Internet is you can learn how people think and what things they think about the church. And I will tell you, there's a large segment of people who will say, I can be a Christian without the church. I can go to heaven without the church. That the church is somehow not important. And it won't really matter in the end. Well, I want to focus on how the church will be delivered to the Father. And I don't believe that when you finish this lesson that you can conscientiously say that the church doesn't matter. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the end. That's the term used in the passage that was just read to us by Brother Corey. We want to talk about the exaltation what will happen when the church is delivered to the Father? And number three, an encouragement. Let's begin, first of all, with the end. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles. I want you to use your Bibles or one of the few Bibles because I want you to be able to look back and refer to this as we go through this first point. 
I want to concentrate particularly on verses 24 through 26 of 1 Corinthians 15 and notice carefully the way Paul describes this. He's talking about, in 1 Corinthians 15, the subject of the resurrection of the dead and particularly the resurrection of Christ and how that impacts us. So he says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father or to God the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, I want you to notice when is the end? If you're looking in your Bibles, you'll notice that word when, when. And so he explains to us when the kingdom is delivered to the Father. And you say, well, I need to know more precisely when that will happen. Well, notice the next when. When there will be an end of all rule and authority and power. When will that take place? When Jesus has put an end to death. For just a few moments, let's explore those three things that the Lord says there through the Apostle Paul. The kingdom delivered to the Father. It's almost as if you have something that you take someone and you deliver them. It may be, for instance, if you had a group of prisoners and you were going to deliver them to a prison to be incarcerated. Or it may be that you have a group of teenagers who are going to go to a special event and you take them on a bus and you deliver them somewhere. Jesus is going to take the kingdom and he is going to deliver it to the Father. And so for that reason, this end is not the end of man and it is not the end of the kingdom. It's just a change of location. And so if you will, notice with me a few passages of Scripture. As I go to the Old Testament, it was spoken of by the prophet Daniel. And as Daniel was looking at the various kingdoms that would arise and fall, he'd already dealt with Nebuchadnezzar. Now in chapter 7 is using some different figures, but the same thought. And here's what he says in verse 14. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. What's going to happen to the Babylonian kingdom? It will arise and it will be replaced by the Medo-Persians. What will happen to the Medo-Persians? They will arise and then they will be replaced by the Grecians. What will happen to the Grecians? They will arise and they will be replaced by the Romans. What will happen to the Romans? Daniel 2.44, In the days of those kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed nor its sovereignty left to another people. But it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. As I come to the New Testament, 
And Mary is being told about the child that she will have. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and it will be called son of the highest and the Lord God will give him a throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and Of his kingdom there will be no end. You have to understand that the kingdom that is here, when you start talking about the end, we're talking not about the end of man. We're not talking about the end of the kingdom. We're talking about the kingdom, the eternal kingdom, being presented to the Father. But it will be a kingdom in heaven. When I go to 2 Peter chapter 1, And I go down to verses 10 and 11 after he's given the Christian graces. He talks about saying, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How do I know that he's talking about the heavenly kingdom as opposed to the kingdom here on earth? Because in order to enter the kingdom here on earth, in order to become a member of the kingdom of our God, according to John 3, verses 3 through 5, man must be born again. Look what he said, the very second word, therefore, brethren. He's talking about brethren entering into the eternal kingdom. So it's not the end, it is an eternal kingdom. But you see what Paul is trying to tell us in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 24 through 26 is that Jesus is going to present the kingdom to the Father when he brings an end because he is being submissive to the Father. It's a whole study in and of itself to think about Jesus' willing submission to the Father and putting the Father's will ahead of his own. And Paul, in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, discusses this. He says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. Now, if you only read verse 5, you would understand plainly that Jesus was in the form of God. He was on an equality with God. But it says in verse 7, but he made himself of no reputation. That phrase in the original language is translated by a word which means to empty oneself. Like you'd empty a glass. I don't know that I can fully comprehend the meaning of that. I think I know, but when you start thinking about Jesus being in the form of God being equal with God, but then taking all of that off, his glory, his prestige, the beauty of heaven. And it says, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the fashion or the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. 
Jesus was willing to submit his will to the Father, even to the point of dying. Here at the end, Jesus continues that submission in the sense that he says, okay, now, Father, here are those that you have given me, and I'm giving them back to you. I am delivering the kingdom to you. When the end comes, that's what's going to happen. The second thing that helps me understand this is that it brings an end of all earthly rule. There'll be no place for those in positions of power to rule. Whether it is the President of the United States, the Prime Minister of England, or the King and Queen of England, or whether it is a ruler or a head of state from any nation on the face of the earth, any governor, any local executive, or any alderman, they will all stand with no authority before the God of heaven. There's no place for them to rule. In fact, the earth, this world that you and I lived in, is going to be destroyed. 2 Peter 3, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, and the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. I don't know how you can get any plainer than that. There will be no earthly rulers anymore. Their power will have all ceased because there's no earth for them to rule. But I want you to notice he also talks about the end of something else. The end of death. Now that's profound. To think about there will be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more dying, no more pain. If you go back with me to 1 Corinthians 15, I want you to notice with me verse 23 and then verses 25 and 26. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those that who are Christ at his coming. Now pause for me just a moment. Some of you have planted various vegetables in your garden. It may be that you've planted tomatoes. There'll be a time, probably in just a few weeks, that some of you will go and you will pick that very first fruit off. Hopefully there'll be many more that will follow thereafter. Jesus was the first to be killed, to die, and then be resurrected to die no more. There was others who died, were resurrected, but they died again. Jesus is the only one who lives in that sense. When you get to verses 25 and 26, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that is destroyed is death. Now let me tie that together with a phrase that I know you hear, but sometimes we don't fully appreciate. There's a place called Hades. Hades, if you look at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, if it is a parable or the account of the rich man and Lazarus, you realize that the rich man lifted up his eyes in torments in Hades. Sometimes we equate that with hell, but that's not the case. Because if you read Acts chapter 2, that you did not allow his soul to remain in Hades. Hades is where the spirit goes while the body is in the grave. Now I want you to listen carefully as Jesus, when he replies to Peter in Matthew 16 and verse 18, 
And I say unto you that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Do you mean that that place where the spirits will not be able to keep them, that the church will come out triumphant? Absolutely. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 50, reading through verse 55. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? You see, the victory that he gives us is through our Lord Jesus Christ that death is no more. Hades cannot keep your soul. Revelation 1 and verse 18. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys to death, or Hades, and death. Jesus said, I've got the keys And all those souls that are there will be turned free to be rejoined with their bodies. Verse 13 of chapter 20. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to their works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Hades is not going to be needed anymore. I think you understand the end. You know what's going to happen. You know that death will be dissolved. You know that there will be no more powers of earth. And you know that Jesus is going to give the kingdom to the Father. What does that really mean for us? It means for those of us who are part of that great kingdom that there's going to be an exaltation. We're going to be lifted up to where he is. And notice the way Paul puts it when writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer even to the point of change, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. For if we die with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. You see, once death is destroyed, those who have become a part of his body will reign with him through eternity. When Paul was writing the Philippians, by the way, from a Roman prison, he said to them in chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, For our citizenship is from heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. 
You see, the Lord will take this old corruptible body and he'll make it a body perfectly suitable for our eternal dwelling. In 1 John 3, 2, he writes, Beloved, we are now the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. That is, we will take on that exalted privilege and state that our Lord took when he was resurrected from the dead. In Colossians 3 and verse 4, Paul would write, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Appear with him in glory. What is Paul trying to stress? The exalted nature. When Jesus takes the kingdom and he hands it back to the Father, what state will those who are his be in? They will be in that exalted, glorious state. Now I want to end with an encouragement. This is not the conclusion. This is the last point. All will be resurrected, but not all will be resurrected to be with Christ. You see, there is going to be, at the end, a great resurrection. And I know there's a lot of people who really want to believe that at the end, the Lord is going to say, "Um, everybody just come on in. Everybody gets to go to heaven. But that's not what he said. This afternoon I've been replying to some folks who really believe that some things just don't matter. And then on the day of judgment, God's just going to say, Oh, my grace is so much, you can just get to come on in. I want you to listen to John 5, verses 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I could take a number of passages and show you how that the Lord will ultimately make a separation. In Philippians chapter 3 verses 10 and 11. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's going to be resurrected anyway, but he says, I want the right one. I want to be conformed to him so that I can be able to enjoy the future. Would you listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Here's a church at Thessalonica. They are evidently confused about what's going to happen when the Lord returns. They're also evidently confused about when it's going to happen. So here's what Paul says. He says, but I do not want you to be ignorant. Brethren, concerning those who've fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive remain to the coming of the Lord. 
will by no means perceive those that are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. He talked about those who have no hope. And he talked about those who are going to always be with the Lord. You see, there's an encouragement in this to say... If I am not ready for the end and I'm not ready for the Lord to deliver the kingdom back to the Father, then I need to make myself ready. There's one passage which I think is just so abundantly clear that you can't skip over it. All the preparations for the end have to be made now. You can't wait until the Lord sends forth the voice of the archangel. You can't wait until the trumpet sounds and say, okay, now I'm ready. Here's what Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness? In light of the fact that this world will be destroyed, in light of the fact of the eternal destinies of all men, We ought to be righteous with God. I asked Brother Jeff to choose the song, There's a Great Day Coming. There's a bright day coming. There's a sad day coming. The scene is going to be very clear, and I'm going to take you just through two or three verses from the end of the book of Revelation so that you can get that picture in your mind. I want you to have it firmly fixed when we extend the Lord's invitation. In Revelation chapter 20, here's the end. Here's what's going to happen. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose face the heaven and the earth fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, the small and the great, standing before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things that were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second day, death. And if anyone was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. Is your name written... In the book of life right now? Really? You know where it is or not. And God knows whether it's there or not. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. You you go to the next chapter. Now I saw the new heaven and the new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away the sea was no more. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Remember, we studied about the bride. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. 
The end is here. Death is no more. Where are you? Are you in this place where the bride is now brought into the next place where the groom is in heaven? I want you to listen to Revelation 22. This is the end. And you look in Revelation 22, verse 12. And Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. Jesus says, I'm coming. Sometimes people misuse verses 16 and 17, but let's listen to them. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify of these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Now, folks, if Jesus says, I'm coming, the spirit says, come. What does the bride, the church say? Come. I want you to imagine a bride waiting on her husband on her wedding day, and she's saying, I want the groom to come. I want him to come so we can start this wedding. You and I should be looking toward heaven and asking Jesus to come so we get to enjoy the day in which the kingdom is delivered back to the Father. And let him who hears say come. Anybody who appreciates what this is all about ought to be saying come. And let him who thirst come, whoever desires, and let him take of the water of life freely. There's the offer. Is there a response? If you're not a Christian tonight, there's a great day coming. There's a bright day coming. But there's also a sad day coming you are not a Christian and you are not a part of the body of Christ, you're not a part of his kingdom, Jesus is not going to take you and deliver you to the Father. If you are a part of his kingdom and you've walked away from the Lord and you've said, I don't want any part of him, I'm going to live a worldly life, you don't get to enjoy it. You remember those five foolish virgins? Do you remember what happened when they left to go get oil? And the groom came, the door was shut, they were banging on the doors, let us in, let us in. No, I don't know who you are. Do you want to be standing there at the gates of heaven, banging on the door saying, let me in? And Jesus said, I don't know who you are. If you need to respond, please come as we stand and sing.